Would you please stand with me as we read from the word this morning? Found in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. And the word says, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. The word of God. Please be seated. We continue into the wonder of the Advent season. And a part of that wonder, that wonder of the season are all the presents and the gifts in giving and receiving. And if I'm honest with you, that's probably the part that I'm the worst at is the gifts. The, you know, there's a lot of emotional uh, hardship there. There's sweat and blood and tears and there's all this overstimulation and, and, and that's just me. And my wife often has to be like, hey, calm down and treat me as one of the children while she packs all of the gifts and wraps them beautifully. And then when I do try to help out, uh, I, I rupture my patellar tendon for no reason. Because I'm not good at the gifts. It's not my thing. But it is a part of the wonder of the season, the gifts. Especially when people give you gifts that make you wonder why. Why? Why would you give this to me? What, what is this thing that you've given me? Have you ever received a gift like this before? I want you to take about 10 seconds and share with the person next to you if you've ever gotten this kind of gift. What gift have you received that you've had to say, why? Do it now. 10 seconds. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear some of your, your gifts when you've had to ask the question, why? Why does this thing even exist? And why was it given to moi? If the spirit moves you, feel free to post it up onto our social media. I'd love to read it later on. But these gifts, they exist. These gifts have been so unclear when given to us that it makes us ask, is, is this for me? And, uh, and if it is, is there something else that I'm supposed to be looking for? Is there, is there more to the gift than this? So I decided to go online and just see, uh, how, you know, just a few other people. What, what are some of these gifts like for them? So here, here's one. Um, this person posts, my grandma bought me an ornament with the name Eric on it. My name is Morgan. <laughs> Why? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know, Morgan. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> Here's another one. I love my grandmother. But yeah, alter ego. But one year she knit me a hoop scarf, an infinite scarf. It's a loop. And forgot to put the hole in it. It ended up just being a fuzzy pink sock for my head. Not even a cute beanie type of way. Thank you, Bethany, for sharing that. Here's another one. 
My mom bought me one of those 3D posters that were all the rage in the 90s. For those of you who lived in the 90s, do you remember those posters? Right? You had to really stare at them, both your eyes had to kind of move in and out, and all of a sudden some 3D thing would pop out. Well, this person's mom bought them one of these. Um, the problem is, I'm blind in one eye. For those of you who don't know, you can't do it with just one, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I don't know why the mom did this. Somebody posted underneath as a comment, your mom did this to you? She's like, yeah, she's crazy. <laughs> why? I, I don't know. Is there more? Is this it? Is this for me? Melanie and I, a few seasons ago, got a gift from a distant family member. No one that would be found here at this time. And um, it wasn't wrapped, it was just in a bag. And the bag had the box in it, and the bag had a tag, and the name on the tag was not our name, it was their name. Like, as if we were going to give them the gift. Their name was on it. We pull it out, and it's a box that had been through life. It had a few seasons of experience. And right at the top corner, it says, to the family member from people we didn't even know. And then it was scratched out with marker. Not like erased so you couldn't tell, just, just a line, just a line. And then not too far away from there was written in to Melanie and Icky from the family member. It was obvious that the box had been opened and that the item had been lightly used. Mel and I looked at each other, why? Why? Don't, why go through all that? If you didn't give us a gift, it would have been better. Because we would have had a higher idea of who you were as people. <laughs> now that you've given us this, it's kind of, you know, why? Why? And is there more? In these moments, the gifts feel as if they're a, a bit of a miss. As if they missed the target. John's question from his disciples to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another, gives us the sense that John too was questioning whether this was indeed the Advent gift. Was this the glad tidings, the good news for the whole world? John in this moment was unsure of Jesus' messiahship. You, are you, are you the one? Are you it? Are you the gift of the world? Or am I missing something? John speaks to Jesus through his disciples. And this is John. This is John, family member to Jesus. This is, this is John, son of Elizabeth and Zechariah, the priest of the temple, the temple priest, right? This is that John, the John who leapt in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Mary. This John. This is the John who we talked about the last couple weeks, the one who Mark announces as the, as the individual who comes out, the voice in the wilderness, who cries out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That John. This is that same John who stands with Jesus in the water, feeling unqualified, but baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out, and then there is this miraculous vision of a light like dove, and the voice from heaven booms, this is my, my son in whom I am well pleased, my beloved. This John, 
This John who was with Jesus, the one who, who basically uh, came, prepared the way, and hurled Jesus into his ministry. This is the John whose, whose discipleship and followers grew so much, and along the way he had to remind them that I must decrease and he must increase. It's that John, the very flesh and blood of Jesus. There is a strong connection. Jesus was no small thing to John the baptizer. Jesus was a ginormous deal for John. All of John's life is steeped in the orientation that Jesus is the embodied culmination and climax of God's promises to Israel. That John, the one who believed Isaiah, the one who believed that there is a different way to go about life, that there is an upside down reverse kingdom that will come to fruition that no government can overthrow. This John. But things have shifted for John. John, not too long before, not too long after the baptism of Jesus, finds himself imprisoned. John was no longer living in the wilderness. John was no longer free. John was no longer preaching and baptizing. John knew that his time to witness the kingdom come and be a reality was sorely diminished and getting smaller and smaller by the moment. John knew that he was running out of time. And he wanted to see this, this kingdom come full of equity and love and goodness and inclusion and, and, and care. This place, John is dying for that to come to, to reality. And he knows that his window is shifting. The world hasn't changed much since Jesus started his ministry. And his life is in danger. And so he sits here and he looks about at what Jesus is doing and he takes the bold stance that maybe this is not the Advent gift. Maybe this is not the Messiah. When John asked the question to Jesus, are you the one to come? I believe John is asking maybe two questions here wrapped into this, into this dialogue that happens between his disciples and Jesus. Because something has shifted. John has changed. He's no longer free and living his life. He's imprisoned. He's, he's in a horrible, difficult situation. He feels uh, pinned in. And when, whenever we have a shift in our life from stability to instability, it creates questions in us. We begin to question things and, and, and ask the big questions. And, and here's the thing. Asking and having questions is a good thing. Amen. Our church has run from asking questions. We like to give statements and we like to make imperatives when in actuality, our growth happens when we ask questions. So while John was in a difficult place, he didn't realize that there was a lot of growth to be had even in the most stringent of places. He's going to grow some here. And the growth is not going to give him success or more life. His life is shortened by his situation. But there is indeed growth because he shifted. Some things about Jesus don't make sense anymore for John. He's asking bigger questions. Are you the one? You know how 
If you, you know, you have an idea of something or someone, and then you run into the reality of that thing. Has that ever happened to you where you've, you've like, you've had this idea of this thing or this place, and then you actually go there and you're like, this is it. Have you ever, have you ever been to a magical place called Hollywood? If you're, if you're, if you're from Southern California, you're used to how Hollywood looks. To us, that's normal. That's just the way it looks. But every time family comes from out of state, hey, could you take us to Hollywood? And I want to say no. <laughs> There's a lot of beautiful beaches. You know, we go, there's, there's other places. No, I, no, let's, we want to see Hollywood. And then when we get there, always the reaction's the same. It's, oh, this is Hollywood, right? When our ideals and reality shift, and we begin to reassess. My dad is one of my most favorite human beings in the world. And I just feel he's very smart. I just do. I don't have any proof of that. I just, I just believe it to be true. And growing up, we, we, we still do this in our house. Um, it's kind of a tradition we do. Well, we have Friday night worship or we have family worship very regularly in our home. And we picked that up from my parents and my dad used to, you know, we used to have, you know, we used to have worship. And then around sixth grade, my dad did this. He's like, okay, now every Friday night, a different kid is going to lead out in worship. And we were like, dang, dad is, you know, like, wow, you're bold. You're letting us take the reins. Yes. And, and we would do that. And then I came back from college one year and I, you know, and he said, okay, son, you're going to do, you're going to do worship tonight. And I said, dad, I. You know what? You should do worship, Dad. You're, you're our senior here. You're our elder. You lead us. And my dad said, well, let me be honest with you. And I said, okay. He says, at about sixth grade, you all knew more about the Bible than I do. I said, what? He's like, yeah. I stopped giving worship because your worships are better. And I was like, what? This whole time, I thought my dad was this this wizard who was just setting us up, you know, like on chess. And when my, actually my man was like, I just don't want to do it anymore. Y'all are smart enough to do it. Do it. John is having one of these moments where he's wrestling with who Jesus is. Are you the Advent gift? Are you the Messiah? Are you the, the anointed one? Are, are you Emmanuel? Does, does God, does God encamp on and in and through us? When you're here? Because my situation isn't any better. I'm imprisoned. And I don't even know how long I'll get to live. Are you the Messiah? So the two questions I, I, I believe John is really asking here is firstly, are you the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us? And the second question is, are you my Messiah? Are you with me? Big question, are, are, you, are you the one who comes to, to transform this world and save this world? And, and also, are you gonna save me? Are you walking with me in my imprisonment, in my loneliness, in my brokenness? Are you, are you beside me in my doubt and in my problems? Are you my Messiah? So Jesus answers in this fashion. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. 
The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus invites John's disciples to come and listen and experience and see and then, and then report that back. He gives them the opportunity to have a gnosko kind of experience, a, a, a knowledge by, by trying and seeing and touching and hearing and watching and believing. And that in its power, go tell John about that particular experience. Let John hear from you what you have experienced here. Jesus didn't need to give him a direct answer and say, well, tell John this from the Bible and tell, you know, tell him verse this. No. He says, look, see, experience, and then go tell. How beautiful the church would be if we kept asking ourselves, how do people experience Emmanuel when they come and be with us? What is it like for the visitor? By the way, if you're visiting, welcome. Welcome to Los University Church. Blessings to you. What is it like for the outcast? What is it like for the marginalized? Can they come and have an experience with Emmanuel among Emmanuel's people? Jesus invites John's disciples to report about what they have experienced. For those listening along with one ear tuned to the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament uh, uh, apocalyptic prophet, they begin to hear Isaiah here. They hear Isaiah in chapter 26 and 29 and 32 and 45 and 61 and 35, all over the place because Isaiah talks about this this, this God, this anointed one who will come and usher in the time of the Lord. The one who hears, Isaiah would say, and knows that the dead it comes to life. That the blind and the deaf seeing and are hearing again. That the lame are leaping for joy. That the poor hearing the glad tidings of the Lord are delivered by his anointed one. These are things that happen when the Messiah is here. The markers of the Messiah in Isaiah was prevalent and practical in the ministry of Jesus. And John's disciples were witnessing just how prevalent and practical it was. It's as if to say that when the Messiah is present, there's reconciliation to life. That when the Messiah is present, there is healing for the whole person and for the whole community. That when the Messiah is present, there's an undeniable joy for those who've been left out and good news for the unprivileged, underprivileged, and glad tidings for everyone. In the presence of the Messiah, lives are changed. If Emmanuel is God with us and encamped among us and in us and through us, what experience should the church give people? I don't mean just our church. I mean the church, the church globally. What kind of experience should people have? Is there reconciling to life? Is there healing and joy and good news? Is it glad tidings for all of us or just some of us? Are we bearing out the fruit of God in and through us? The church should be a place by which joy is 
the language that we speak even in the midst of our challenges. It should be the place where unconditional, unbearing, beautiful, deep, profound love finds practice to all. This is what it means for the Advent to be true and real and right in the people of God. So then Christmas really begins once the gifts have all been unwrapped. Trees drug out to the curbside. Lights taken down and placed gently back so they could be used another 50 years into their storage. And the world seems to lull back into its ways. Then Emmanuel, the work of God with us and through us, starts. And it starts all day, every day, every year. For if the Messiah is at the center of our community, it should bring joy and peace and justice and good news and healing and rightness to God's people and all those who are engaged with God's people. Secondly, are you my Messiah? Jesus answers John, not with freedom from his situation, but a shared experience with those who struggle in need. The blind, the deaf, the poor, the foreigner, the hungry, the outcasts, the marginalized, and the promise that through it all the Messiah is indeed present with John just as he is surely present with them. As he hears the news of what Jesus is doing there among the people, he is now in one spirit. He knows what it means to be in deep need. He understands what it means to not have control of his situation. He gets it to be in a dark and difficult place. And he sees what Jesus is doing there. And he is filled with the empathy and the promise that Jesus is with him in that prison. Pastor Elizabeth, she's my favorite pastor. Don't tell anyone else. Don't tell anyone else. That's not true, Pastor Elizabeth. You are my favorite. Nah. Pastor Elizabeth writes in her blog this last week. I wanted to share that with you in case you may have missed it. She writes, to conclude a story of loss, the following as we enter into the season where joyful memories may become grieving realities. I find peace in knowing that my pain is heard and understood. I stand in awe in a time with such pain for not only myself, but for many others. We have the opportunity to celebrate the Prince of Peace who entered into this world to bring peace. Even though years may go, traditions may change, and family members may pass, the consistency of Jesus' peace on earth will always stay the same. Through it all, through the rubble and the brokenness, through the tears and the challenges, there is this deep, profound hope that the Prince of Peace still resides among us. 
It is the promise of Christmas, a Christmas, the Christmas reminder that the kingdom of God is now here among us and is also still yet to come. That there is a fulfilling in the works and a fulfillment still on its way. It's the promise that, yes, indeed, anywhere with Jesus, I can surely go. And also that when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more. It is the here and the now and what I deal with and also the things that are to come by the Messiah. So like John, maybe today you are still waiting with the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the gift? Is this it? As we all are between a fulfilling and a fulfillment. Maybe Revelation chapter 6 is more of your Christmas passage. Oh, how long, sovereign Lord. How long, oh God, must war continue to tear all of us apart? How long, oh God, must I endure these student loans? How long, oh God, must I suffer with illness? How long must I struggle with the loss and the pain of loss or hunger or injustice, loneliness and grief? I imagine John is very aware that his time is running short. He hopes that the kingdom comes soon and saves him from death. He's hoping that this isn't just the Messiah, but his Messiah. Jesus responds with a sharing of others who also are in dire need with no control over their predicament. And John isn't given a pass out of the arc of his story, but he's given the hope that through this season, the Prince of Peace is present with him and that at the larger arc is bending always towards the goodness of God. It is uh, Reverend, Reverend Chelsea Harmon, who is an associate pastor up in British Columbia, writes, it is by lifting our gaze to see all that is true, even if it's not true for us, that we see the whole truth. This is how we do not just form our image of, or expectations about God based on our own needs, but in what we see God all around on the long arc towards justice and peace. So in Bethlehem this year, for those of you who may not be aware, located on the West Bank of Palestine, they're not celebrating Christmas due to the horrific loss of so many innocent lives. The pain and the thrashing that has happened within the short few months has left many of us in tears, many of us wondering what we can do, how these atrocities can happen even in our modern world. But if you enter into the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church there in Bethlehem, you may run into Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac, who pastors there. You'll see that Reverend Munther has created a manger scene 
Uh, and the manger scene is made of rubble from the debris of fallen buildings. And baby Jesus is on top. The reverend says, our hope is in our faith. Our hope is in our resilience. So while Christmas celebrations are canceled, Christmas prayers are not canceled. And maybe when we look at the image of Jesus under the rubble, we see a light of hope and life coming out of destruction. Life coming out of death. For Reverend Munther, there was something greater and larger even still than the pain that is there in that moment. He hopes that the world would tune in and sing along in the chorus that indeed God is doing new things. But whilst in the waiting and in the rubble and in the pain, he recognizes that through all the destruction, Jesus is still there. Even in the rubble of brokenness, the Advent season brings hope that Jesus is still clearly working in the world. For those of us who are still singing the Revelation song, How Long, O Lord, may I whisper encouragement into your season, Jesus is still working in your world. As a church, I pray that we are challenged, that Christmas may not be about our lights and our crazy gifts, but maybe it's about living Emmanuel and the work of Emmanuel every day of the year. That those who would find themselves in our presence, whether here in our glorious sanctuary, or whether it's some outreach that we're going to do in the fall or in the children's space at the well that will begin in January, whether it be in the fellowship hall around some breakfast or coffee, Roma, whatever you like, whether it's at the stop sign or somewhere in this world, when they, when they have an engagement with us, the La Sierra University Church, that they may walk away and proclaim, indeed, this is the Messiah who clearly came for me. May we take our Advent season into a world that the world and us could be well.